In a time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to a landmark episode of the Feelin' Film podcast. For this special day, we are going to be talking about what could end up being the highest grossing film of 2017, or at the very least, give Star Wars The Last Jedi a run for its money. Literally. We've liked most of Disney's live-action remakes thus far, and Beauty and the Beast is no different. Is it as good as the original? Does it matter? We're looking forward to answering those questions and many more. But Patrick, my friend, my co-host, my brother, holy cow, this is our 50th episode. (laughs) I honestly can't believe it. I mean, can you say that again? This is our what? This is our 50th episode. (laughs) What? This is crazy. I know. When we talked about doing this thing almost a year ago, I didn't really even know what it would turn into. I mean, this was very much a hobby for me and you. And now we have 50 episodes under our belt, a listenership that is top notch and even some cool stickers to go along with it. I mean, I honestly feel like I could quit my job and do this full time. I mean, I I know you already have, but (laughs) did I get dig, dig? Okay. Anyway, as crazy as it is to think that we've been doing this, um, it's even crazier to think that we live in a time where we are covering a live action version of a beloved classic from the world of the Imagineers. I'm excited to talk about it, but um, before we do, I'd like to know what you've been up to this week. We haven't talked that much. Well, I would like to know what an Imagineer is before we get started. Isn't that what they call Disney people? You know, the Imagineers? I thought those were Lego people. I don't know. Anyway, I was trying to be... No, (laughs) I honestly didn't know. I thought maybe that was some term that I'm just unaware of. I think that's what they called the people at Disney as Imagineers. I thought they called them Mouseketeers. They could be that too. They could be many things since they basically own every other property besides themselves. Was Was that a Disney pun? It really wasn't. They could be it many, really many things and Mickey <laughs> things. Okay. Sorry. I'm getting it off. That's that's my payback for your job comment that I so you know quietly tried to ignore. Um uh, Well Patrick you, you successfully did. I know. So, you know, this week I have uh you know, I haven't watched as many movies as I usually do because I have been keeping up with the NCAA tournament. March Madness is my favorite sporting event of the year. So I've spent several days just binge watching basketball and uh, trying to recover from the heartbreak of, of my team losing uh, this day actually that we're recording. So it's, it's not been as much on the entertainment side for me this next week, however, should be uh, picking that back up again. I have lots of stuff scheduled and uh, I think we're actually doing a bonus episode that we're going to be recording. So pretty excited about that one. What I did watch uh, was a documentary. You had purchased some movies on Vudu for our shared account, and they were mostly uninteresting to me. Things that <laughs> I'm not, this is not an indictment of your uh, taste, but you know, mostly they were things that that, that were personal favorites of yours. Right. On. And I wanted something to watch one night, and I was like, you know, oh, let me see what Patrick added. 
And this one was short enough, frankly, that I could squeeze it in. And it was Dogtown and the Z Boys. It's a it's a documentary. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I know. So fact, you I, you I, know. I, I do know this. In fact, just uh, I I think. I remember bringing this up on one of our one of our early episodes as what I'd been up to. I'd actually watched this a long while back, and so I was so glad to uh, to know that you uh, you got to watch that. Oh, that's awesome! I didn't know that. I'll have to see if I can find when that was. But yes, that's basically what happened. And so this is a documentary uh, about the Z Boys, which is the the Zephyr skateboarding team uh, in oh goodness gracious, I don't remember the city. Uh, Santa something maybe it's in California. So Santa, that's it. That's a, that's a good Santa guess. California, not Santa. No, Santa something. Um, ho, 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 <laughs> skaters, Santa Chino Diego, California though. No, okay. really though. This is, uh, this is about the California birth of skateboarding and how that culture came out of the surfer world. And it's just, it's a fascinating, fascinating documentary. I got to tell you, I, I didn't really have any interest in this going into it because I was not a skateboarder. I did not live in that world at all. Didn't ever have long hair. Uh, just, just never, never was for me. So I was a little worried that this wasn't going to interest me at all. But I think in a roundabout way, because I had no knowledge of this culture, it made it all the more interesting. I really liked it. I highly recommend the documentary to anyone. I think it's just a very well-made documentary. The way that they, they do the editing uh, is very good. The way that they, they have tons of interviews and, and lots of the crew from back then that are uh, narrating and, and doing interviews throughout this thing. It's just a really incredible story. Um, for me, I always grew up and I knew Tony Hawk. You know, That was the name I knew because he had video games. And so I was like, okay, well, that was my reference for skating. And now... I know how we got to Tony Hawk. Uh, and so I think it's a phenomenally made document documentary and one that, that anyone would, would probably enjoy. Cool, man. Yeah. I, I, uh, I was, when I first saw it, it was actually the documentary that inspired the movie Lords of Dogtown, which came out, I don't know, several years ago. And it starred the late Heath Ledger, who was in another role that you wouldn't expect him to be in. You wouldn't recognize him. And um, I think I mentioned this on the show that I was talking about this, that the documentary is far more entertaining than the movie. As much as I love Heath Ledger, I I really enjoyed the documentary and it's on the rewatchability scale, like very high up there for me. I it just, not that I get something new out of it every time, but just the story that's told and the way that it's told is really, really cool. Well, I'll have to put that on the list then. I, you know, I've heard of that one too, and just it's always slipped right by me as far as interest goes. I didn't know Heath Ledger was in it. That you know, not takes it up a notch as well. Yeah, it's 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 good. It's you know, I don't like to compare them, but you kind of end up doing it because you know it's the same source material. But but, but one yeah. is version is is definitely probably dramatized. Yes, as compared yeah. to absolutely the the entertainment value I think of Lords of Dogtown is higher, but the the overall like value from an education standpoint and even from an entertainment standpoint, I think is, is what makes, uh, makes this, the documentary a lot better. Great. So two thumbs up from both Patrick and I for Dogtown and the Z boys. We, we think you should check that one out. Uh, the other two things I've done are both content related. Uh, I got a chance to record an episode with a friend of ours, Chad Hopkins, who does the Cinescope podcast 
and we talked about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It was a, a very fun episode, very great conversation to have, and, and just, you know, it's a movie that I haven't seen until recently and became an instant favorite. I w- right away realized why this was a, a classic film and, and beloved film, and it was awesome to be able to dissect it using his format, and so just want to encourage everybody to check out Cinescope podcast as always because they're one of our favorites and uh, that's a good place to start (laughs) there are other episodes i think that patrick and i may have both been on have you done some with him uh with chad yeah yeah i've done rocky with him we did it just after the first of the year it was really a lot of fun right so rocky uh is another good one with cinescope you could check out if you like us and uh blade runner i did blade runner with chad as well the other thing that i did is I flexed my press credential muscles a little bit. Um, per the rules, you got to put something out for anything you go see. And we aren't or weren't or haven't been planning to cover this film coming out in a few weeks called or a couple weeks called The Zookeeper's Wife. Now, I saw the preview for this and just didn't really have a lot of interest, to be honest. It didn't really grab me or interest, you know, didn't didn't spark anything in me. But it was a free showing, and so I went to check it out. And I was actually very, very pleasantly surprised. Um, so by the time you're listening to this episode, hopefully, you should be able to find uh, both a written review for The Zookeeper's Wife and also a quick little 10-minute or so audio review. That is an experiment, something we're doing just to see if it you know, sticks. If anybody's interested in that, it'd be something that comes out maybe two to four times a month. We're going to call it the the feeling it uh, reviews. And basically it's just some information that to try and come out before a movie hits uh, theaters to help you make a decision as to whether or not it's something you want to spend your money to go see. Uh, so any feedback on those would be great. We would love that. You can do that via Twitter, social media, Facebook type stuff, uh, or emailing us. Uh, you can find the links for that on the website. So that's that's what I have been up to, Patrick. What about you? Well, I am busy with work um, and catching up on things from being out of town. But one thing that's been constant for me has been some of my reading. This year, I've been trying to get back into kind of a balance of reading and movies and taking a break for for Lent from television. So those two areas have been heightened. And if you've seen me on Facebook, you've seen me kind of post what I've been watching <laughs> Things ranging from, uh, uh, let's see, what was that? Uh, 10 Things I Hate About You to um, just this and that. So just a, a plethora of things. But the thing that's been keeping me pretty entertained on a constant basis has been, it's a 2005 dystopian fiction novel by a guy named Scott Westerfeld called Uglies. And it's part of officially a trilogy. There's actually a fourth companion book that goes along with it. I bought this several years ago with the intent to read it several years ago and would always start and then get distracted. I start and get distracted. And so I really wanted to put my best foot forward and go ahead and, and start reading it. So I'm about halfway through it and it's, it's a very, very interesting book. It's of course it's dystopian fiction. It's something that we, you know, that we've kind of gotten overly saturated with between the hunger games and maze runner and, Let's see, what else was there? Twilight. Um, Twilight, you know, everything books to movies. Allegiant, um, Divergent series. Right. So 
I'm kind of glad that this hasn't made its way to the world of cinema because I felt like by default it would sort of get kind of uh, another one, right? But it's it's set in a world where everyone has this operation that when they turn 16, they go from, quote, ugly to pretty. So they get this perfect, like, facial body overhaul. And the main character's name is Tally, and she's a few weeks away from being turned to a pretty. But she meets this friend or this kind of outcast person who has for whatever reason chosen not to take the operation and starts leading her on this adventure to this outer city area that you're not supposed to go to outside of like school hours or whatever. And the whole story is about her adventure being led out to this place, meeting this crew called the Smokies and these guys have consciously decided they're not going to do this operation. And there's something going on about, you know, falling into that operation and becoming pretty that is kind of you're figuring out as you go along. But from the standpoint of just refreshed dystopian fiction, this has been a really fun read for me. I I hesitated to dive into it because I didn't want to commit to three books but it reads pretty fast and the characters themselves are intriguing enough that it makes me want to continue to see what happens after this. I'm not sure the, the subsequent, the subsequent books are called, let's say uglies, pretties, extras. And I think that's uh, uglies, pretties, specials and extras, I think are the four books. So I'm, I'm really enjoying that. But I think what I enjoy most about it is that, because I've been sort of disconnected from the dystopian world, it's kind of gotten refreshed again. Um, I didn't really want to read The Hunger Games again or The Maze Runner. I'd love both of those trilogies. But this is one that had been sitting on my bookshelf just collecting dust. And so I decided to go ahead and, and start it, and I've really enjoyed it. That's pretty awesome. I, you know, I've had the same problem for myself with just being completely burned out. I read, I want to say, I think along with you, mostly every dystopian trilogy or series that had come out over gosh, what feels like a decade, you know, it was just reading every single one as it was releasing. And, um, you know, that, that became a chore, uh, and stories started to become very repetitive. And now we're in that cycle where they've all been made into films. And now the films are becoming repetitive and just falling by the wayside and, and not doing very well for that very reason. So they're, they're just, there's nothing, not that there's nothing new under the sun, but you know, the, to to may bring some freshness to that is, is going to take a while. I think. I think you need to step back. Um, maybe they need to take a break, <laughs> and then and then maybe we can get some new stories. So it's it's cool that you're able to kind of forcefully do that yourself by taking a break on your own and then coming back to right. some old stories. Yeah. yeah, and and the thing that I enjoy about it in in this experience is that you could argue that this story is much like your Hunger Games or your your Maze Runners or your Divergence. But you can also, because I've been so disconnected from those other stories, it feels new. It feels like it's something different, like it's a different way of thinking. Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, that's what I really, really, really enjoyed about, about that series was the fact that it was different. I mean, it's young people living their lives and, and going on these adventures but they're not, they're not like having to kill each other and they're not having to, you know, fight in an arena to, 
to to gain food, which, I, you know, those are good stories. Mm-hmm. But it, it's not, I don't know, it just, I guess all these books kind of have an escape mentality to them, you know, and things are not what they seem. And that's a, I mean, that's a good premise to start from. But it's nice to be able to kind of have that slight familiarity, but then see some of the specific differences that exist in the specific, in, like in this novel, for instance, there's a hoverboard. It's, it's a main character, you know, it's, it's part of this main characters. Did you just say the main character is a hoverboard? It's, I call, I call it a supporting, a supporting character because it goes along with this, with the tally and it's, you know, it's equipped with all this cool stuff and it's just the way, the way the world is described and the way that in particular, this piece of equipment is used is pretty, pretty entertaining. And so as an example, it's something that, uh, that has kept me, kept me locked in. I mean, nothing deep or anything like that, but it's just as an example, one of those little things that's like, oh, okay, cool. I like the twist on that. That's kind of neat. So does it say poo Todd? No, it doesn't say poo Todd. <laughs> Good. I hope not. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. That's an inside joke about, uh, the knife of never letting go a series by Patrick Ness. Uh, who also who wrote, also wrote a monster, monster calls. calls. Yes. Um, so anyway, so <laughs> moving on, uh, that's awesome. I'm glad you're you're getting back into reading and uh, taking this time to do that. So good stuff. Well, a quick note before we get into our main review, we want to tell you about a new bonus episode available now for our patrons. After our Scott Pilgrim versus the World episode last week, we talked about our top five movie bands. It was a blast, and we hope that you like it. You can find that episode and others like that at patreon.com feelinfilm slash feelinfilm, uh, where you can also become a supporter of the show and get great rewards. We have the results of our first monthly donor pick episode voting now, and we will announce that at the end of this episode. So stay tuned. Oh, I know. I know. Me too. So cool. I, I haven't told you yet, so I'm pumped. Um, That will be our Bill Paxton episode, by the way, that we will be doing. And while it is only donors that are the voters to choose that episode, that episode is not a Patreon bonus episode. That's a a mini-so that we'll be dropping at the end of each and every month uh, for all listeners. Fantastic. Well, Patrick, I think that's it. And it's time to go ahead and get into Disney's Beauty and the Beast, parentheses, 2017, close parentheses. (laughs) <laughs> let's get enchanted oh that was good um the f- <laughs> the first thing we should tell everyone and just as a reminder is that we are going to spoil this film frankly if you <laughs> i know what if, you're about to say uh, if you have a problem i mean i don't even want it i don't even know why i have to say that to be honest like if you haven't seen beauty and the beast's animated version and you're listening to a film podcast right now something is very wrong with you, but go back and watch that one first, please. But anyway, that being said, we are going to spoil the tale as old as time. Uh, so you've been warned. (laughs) That was good too. I like that. (laughs) So Patrick, what did you think about the movie, man? How did you like it? You saw it before me. I did. I saw it uh, yesterday morning, uh, Saturday morning. In case you're listening to this a year from now and wonder, anyway, that doesn't matter. I went into the theater along with several people of all ages and had expectations. Um, Beauty and the Beast is a great film, the animated feature. Not my favorite Disney animated feature. The uh, The Lion King is tops for me. And so I'm as a side note, I'm really excited about John Favreau, one of my favorite directors, taking a stab at that 
piece of uh, art. But I went in with sort of, you know, hey, okay, I like Beauty and the Beast, you know, Angela Lansbury, you know, singing furniture. That's good stuff. And I said, okay. So I walked, you know, I, it was a three. And then it became a three and a half. And then by the end of the film, when the tears kind of started coming out here and there, it jumped up there to a four. Got to a four and a half and then dropped back down to a four just because I don't feel like in my heart I can give this film beyond just a four-star review. But my experience of it was incredible. I, I had a very, very, very good time watching this. There were some moments that were reminiscent well there are a lot of moments obviously that were reminiscent of the animated feature but there were some moments that felt so refreshing they didn't feel trite they didn't feel like oh that was in the original let's put it in here the um the whole movie experience i mean it felt very enchanting it was beautiful it felt like a movie experience you should have in a theater because that's you know, in some ways, why you go to movies is to kind of be taken away to a magical place. And my only regret was not having my bride with me. She's out of town. And um, for the sake of this show, we had to, you know, watch it this weekend. So I was very regretful that she didn't get to watch it with me because that would have been a fun one to experience with her. And uh, but other than that, man, it was great. I really, really enjoyed it. Well, that is eerily similar to my experience. I also did not have my bride with me uh, <laughs> <laughs> primarily because I no longer have a bride, but that's, um, that's, that's not the eerie part. Hopefully <laughs> that's pretty eerie too. And scare. Uh, that's pretty sad, I guess. But anyway, um, uh, you know, I, I went to see it on a Saturday evening and my initial thought, I got there about 35 minutes early which is a norm for me. And I'm always early to the movies. I like to be first and I wasn't going anywhere close to first. And that is when I realized very quickly, Oh boy, this movie is going to make bank. There were all kinds of people there. I mean, like you were saying, people of all ages, I mean, and ranging down to the way younger than I think should have been there. Um, and all the way up to, I saw some uh, some elderly folks there as well. And I think that that's awesome. I think it's great that they made a film that people feel that they can go to and, and it's not really for one specific demographic. This is truly one of those movies that is for everybody and it's accessible for everybody. It's PG and it's it's well worthy of, of earning the box office praise that it is it is getting right now. Uh, by way of people buying tickets. Now, I was cautiously optimistic, but pretty reserved on this one when it comes to expectations. I liked the Jungle Book remake. Uh, I have not seen the Cinderella remake yet, but I've heard good things about it, and I want to check that out soon. And so, you know, I thought, you know, Disney has some good things going. I think, I think this could work. My two favorite Disney animated films in order are also the Lion King and then Beauty and the Beast. So, um, you know, this is up there for me. And when you're taking a property that I have a lot of history with and a lot of love for, it's a scary thing 
for you to mess with that. I wasn't even sure if I was sold on Emma Watson being Bell. I, I love Emma Watson, but it just made me nervous. You know, we had an English girl playing a French girl. Could that work? So I went in and it pretty quickly started to make me smile. And as soon as that happened, I realized, okay, I'm going to just embrace this. I'm going to let it be what it is on its own, on its own merits and on its own terms and enjoy the heck out of it. And for the most part, I did. Um, There were things that I didn't like. There were some magical moments. Uh, I like the enchanted word that you used. This film really captures that Disney feeling uh, of, of the old animated films that you just, you believe you're watching this in, you know, in a vacuum with stars and, and rainbows in the background. But there were also some very cringeworthy moments for me. And sometimes even with the same characters uh, where I would really enjoy some dialogue by a character and then they would say something else that I would just be like, oh, just stop. <laughs> just, just don't. So, you know, I landed on four stars as well, Patrick, I would say out of five. Um, probably, I think probably it's less than that. Uh, if I was evaluating it 100% objectively, but frankly, this is a love story that connects with me in a big way. Not that I've ever fallen in love with a beast, but, um, you know, it just, it's a tale as old as time. It's, it's that kind of love story that has been around for so long and it's so meaningful. And so I can't take my history with it out of it. And so they did enough to to just make me smile and laugh and and come out of it with a big dumb grin on my face, uh, excited to go see it again and revisit it. Very cool, man. And I I don't think you should have to take anything away because you have past experience with it. I mean, I I mean, it's going to have to meet some expectations because you have them going in, but I mean, that's part of what I love about what we do is that every movie makes us feel something. And if we could tag something to the end of that, it would be, whether we have something invested in it or not. <laughs> you know, there are times when, you know, Man of Steel is a great example. I want to love that movie. And I can't because not because it has so many things wrong with it, but because it's a different take on the big blue boy scout than I'm used to. I've grown to enjoy it more, but the expectations going into it were I wanted it. I wanted it to be great. And it wasn't. And those are just things we have to deal with when we're fans of something, when we have childhood connections with those, because those things resonate with us. And so don't ever apologize because <laughs> you didn't, you know, it didn't do everything you wanted it to do. Well, you know, I think we should start with the word magic um, because we both used it to describe this remake. And, you know, I, we do not get many movies like this anymore. And I had one of our podcasting friends, Gabriel Green, who hosts the underrated podcast, had posted a comment on one of my statuses. I think it was on Facebook. And he said, we need more unashamed, unashamed fairy tales. Like we need more of that in the movies. And I want to know if you agree with that comment. Do you think that, we need more movies like Beauty and the Beast. Not necessarily do we need more remakes, but do we need more stories like this told to us in this way? 
Nope. <laughs> wow, that's not what I was expecting. No, and and what I mean by that is you're talking to a guy who does not dig fantasy stories. Okay, so Warcraft. What he, what he meant to say level. was you're talking to a guy that does not have a heart. <laughs> what I'm saying is that if you gave me a choice to, for the rest of my life, only be able to see sci-fi or fantasy, and there are differences, okay? We can both agree that there are differences, right? Wholeheartedly, yes, absolutely. Okay, I would choose sci-fi. So from a comparison standpoint, no, I, I think, you know, less is more from a personal standpoint. Does Beauty and the Beast exemplify what a good fantasy movie that has magic in it should be? Yes, absolutely. I think we need more quality films like that. But as far as like fantasy in general, no. But I get what you're saying. And so from that standpoint, I absolutely think we need quality film that has that aspect of it in there because it elevates the film. It takes us someplace that we're not used to. When we're living in a world of Manchester's by the sea and these grounded films that are trying to connect with us as human beings, we need to have those moments where we are upended, you know, beyond our own personal place so that we can experience truly what it means to be someone else. I mean, <laughs> Belle kind of, she embodies that. She wants to be something beyond who she is. She wants something more than this provincial life. And that's why we go to movies. I mean, that's, we, I don't agree with this statement, but the, the statement of, you know, mindless entertainment or going to a movie to escape. Those are true statements. I think there's a lot more to it than that. But I think that movies like this help to separate us from our reality in order to experience vicariously the life of someone else. Fantasy movies, I think, do that more deliberately than others. And I think that they provide more obvious hope in that case. Interesting. Well, I would not disagree with most of what you're saying um, in that little rant, but <laughs> I think I think <laughs> you may be on a tangent slightly from what I'm asking, um, and I'm really speaking more about fairy tales in the sense of children's versions of stories with magic and potentially romance that kind of have a lesson or uh you know a meaning to them some sort of a of a parable or or tale that's meant to to teach us something not necessarily like a high fantasy i'm i'm not talking about you know your lord of the rings and your your warcrafts and uh movies like that i'm definitely talking about your beauty and the beast and your cinderella and you know your your disney and your your typical disney princess films Okay. So you're asking if we need more Disney princess films? <laughs> <laughs> no, just more fairy tales, more more happy, sweet, pure magical stories. I think and by magical, I I don't mean with magic in them as in right. you know, swinging spells around. I mean the magical feeling mm-hmm. of the story being told. Yeah, I can agree there. I think I think there's an I think it's it would be good to have more I think fantasy and what you're talking about, these fairy tales bring levity to cinema because who was it um a friend of mine 
mentioned that almost every movie he saw last year was depressing. <laughs> I, think, I think everybody who watched movies last year would say that. Right. Beauty and the Beast provides levity. Even if there's darkness to it, even if there's sadness to it, it provides levity because you know going into it based on your past experience with the animated film or with the story alone that there's going to be a happy ending. I mean, it's a happy ending movie. And so you know at the end there's going to be something good that happens. So I think in that case, we need more films that provide levity to a world where directors and writers are being real and being serious, you know. So this is the why so serious, I think, response to that. And I do think it's necessary because when you have too much of one thing, you you tend to forget the value of it. And you tend to, when you compare it to something else, you tend to value that other thing even more. So in that regard, yeah, I absolutely think we need more. Good. Well, me too. I love the heck out of this. And, you know, it's not a movie that I suspect I will revisit frequently. And I kind of want to hold off on our, our full on decision. I want to, I want to end this review with a, which one is better kind of answer for us. Uh, as to which one we think we would watch more going forward, the original or the remake. Um, so I'll hold off on, on my thoughts on that fully for now. But I liked this feeling that I got out of coming out of this. It was very reminiscent of my experience with La La Land. It was, it was a magical, like the production value of some of those musical numbers felt like a lot, like a real musical. You know, there's stuff going on and dancing and just all of this action happening and it, and it was it was amazing and i and i, I guess i'm a sucker for musicals too because i, I love that and i want yeah. i want more of it yeah i i would i would venture to guess if ryan gosling was in this that every piece of furniture in this movie would have been nominated for an oscar in some way shape or form <laughs> i just think there's that kind of magic that exists in both of these movies unquestionably so all right what are some of the Biggest questions of Beauty and the Beast. This is this is a timeless story. You know, when we've gone over multiple times, um, we could talk about inner beauty being greater than the outer beauty. I think that's a very on the nose theme of this film. It's mm -hmm. it's what this is about. Maybe it's not something we have to get deep into. Uh, I would say it's better to to not judge the book by its cover, and it's better to understand that sometimes you know the value of a person is not surface level. <laughs> and, and you know, that's, that's the lesson here that we can get from this story. Um, and I think that that's an important lesson, but mm -hmm. there's so many things going on in this one, um, that, that jumped out at me. And so I'm going to start with one that really struck me this time that has never been something that grabbed my attention in the animated version. And that was a lot of different things around fatherhood. Now, I have a teenage daughter, so I think that probably plays into this some. There were moments in this film, especially uh, there at the end with Maurice and Belle locked in the wagon, having this father-daughter moment where he's she's telling him that she knows what happened and wh why or what happened to her mother and why she was taken away. And, um, and he's like, I, I just want to protect you. Those got me really teary. Um, because I was connecting at that point very deeply with what he was telling her and how his 
desire to just always keep his daughter safe. And so I, I really gravitated toward those themes in this, this picture um, of protecting your child and then the astonishing, you know, switcheroo of Belle wanting to protect him and everything about that relationship and how they're trying to do the same thing for each other. Mm -hmm. You know, they both want to help each other and, and put each other first. Um, it's a great, great vision of, or, you know, display of that. And I think mm -hmm. it's awesome because I think this film really gives me the opportunity to go take my daughter out for coffee. I didn't get to see the movie with her. Her mom took her, which is awesome. They had like a mom daughter date and perfect movie for that. But it gives me a chance to go take her out for coffee and sit down with her and just talk through some of this stuff and say, you know, how did you feel about this love story? How did you feel about the portrayal that, that love is actions over words? You know, it's not Belle saying, I love you that necessarily breaks the spell. It's, it's Belle's actions of sacrifice and Belle's choices that show that she loves the beast that does that. And additionally for me, I have a daughter who would probably qualify herself as strange. Um, she's a bit of a nerd and she embraces the heck out of it. And uh, I love, I've always loved that about this story. And I think it's one of the things that has made it one of my absolute favorites along with the music is that Belle is the girl I always wanted to date. And I, and I, I know I'm making the connection about my daughter here. So don't, don't go, don't connect those two together. But like Belle is the bookworm who is full of curiosity and a thirst for knowledge. And so the popular world and the popular people at school might think that that's strange and that's odd. And this film really unapologetically says you're, you're, you're awesome and you don't need to listen to them and you're important and you have value and you can do great things. And I, and I really like that about this story. Yeah, I did too. The the movie, the the story, both in the animated film and this one, play with a sense of unconventionalness. And Belle is definitely a, a great example of that. This is the first, I guess you could call her a Disney princess, who doesn't necessarily fit the fit the mold. Now, that may be wrong because Cinderella didn't. So, I mean, all these, yes, all these princesses are kind of outcast or whatever. But this is the first time that I think a feminine character has felt very strong to me. You know, I, I look at these Disney princesses and from a personal standpoint, I think that what makes Belle attractive is that she's very self-confident. Mm -hmm. She's very much, she's very much unapologetic about the fact that she loves reading there are two moments that when you put them together create a great um a great kind of uh explanation of of who she is the first one is that opening scene where you know we're seeing her walking through and she's she's passing or she's going back to uh i wish i could think of his name uh was it pierre robert P pierre robert i'm gonna butcher these names but he goes, she goes back to his house to return the book that she had. And she says, do you have any others? And he goes, no, but you're welcome to reread. And instantly, she wasn't she like she said, no, I've already read those. She just grabs one because she knows 
the the value of of reading and what that does to transport her to another place. You couple that with the scene of her and the beast where she walks into this library and you just see the look on her face of just being completely enamored with where she's at and how excited she is because you know that every book in that library is going to take her someplace else. It's going to take her on an adventure. And you don't see that a lot with maybe female characters in these Disney movies. You don't see, I don't want to call them smart because that's not, I don't think that does justice to these other female characters. But I think that for her, it was one of the first times that I saw strength in intellect from a female lead. And it it didn't depart in this one. In fact, I felt like it was enhanced in a lot of ways. And uh, her relationship with her dad further exemplified that, how she cared for him, how he cared for her. And um, I thought that Emma Watson as an actress really... I feel like she was the perfect cat, perfect actress to play that because I think that of her. I think of her as an intellectual person, you know, because we know her as Hermione. Right. Uh, we, <laughs> so it makes sense to put her in a position where, oh, of course she loves books. Of course she's a little odd because that's the characters that we knew her from as a child. And, uh, and, and I thought it was great. Yeah. I think, you know, speaking to that, I agree. I think, she exemplifies Belle and, and she knocked it out of the park for me. I mean, it was a home run there. I was all the way in on this casting as far as now seeing it, you know, in action being the result of it, it is wonderful. She is Belle <laughs> and, and uh, I, I don't know that she's better or worse than the animated Belle, but she is as good as we could have hoped for. I think I don't I don't know that there could have been a better bell. Um, and, and I'm not talking about her singing voice because just like in La La Land, you know, Emma Watson, not Emma Watson, Emma Stone uh, doesn't have the best singing voice ever. She's not um, a, a songstress or, or an artist in that way. She's good and she's she's serviceable. And I think Emma Watson is serviceable. Um, I don't I don't see her putting out her own album anytime soon. But I think that's fine. I mean, these are musicals, and and we have to make that distinction. You know, these are these are actors who are doing singing as well. They're not singers who are doing acting as well. And so there's a distinction there. But I loved her as well, and I think you're right. I think that because we come in with that preconceived notion, it's it's a lot easier to just settle right in because she is that character, uh, just with a mm-hmm. different name <laughs> in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Well, you pulled out one of the themes of of fatherhood, something that wasn't so apparent from watching the 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 animated feature. And I did the same thing, but it was really more on a sense of loyalty and devotion, which yes, we see that with Bella Marie's. But this movie, and again, I have not seen the animated feature in years. So I'm going to just pre-apologize if I'm saying things that are that I think are new, but they actually exist in the original. Okay. But I I saw a lot of these themes of loyalty and devotion exist in, you know, Gaston and Lafoe, for sure. But even Beast and his servants, um, there's this real sense of questioning that exists in Belle, where she's like, why do you guys stay devoted to him? And there's this 
there's this heartbreaking moment where um it um i can't remember the the tea the teapot uh mrs potts thank you mrs potts played by the lovely emma thompson she is explaining to bell because bell's saying why do you, you know why are you guys so devoted to him why are you so loyal and they say because we weren't before all this happened and we get this little glimpse into why the beast is the way he is that when his mom dies his his dad completely just makes him into something that he's not he makes him into himself a you know a you know a, a replica of himself which is not a good thing and so what we get is this picture of a son who has been completely derailed by his father because his father wants him to be something so when we see the beginning of the movie we see this arrogant you know, prince or king or, and we, we're like, ah, yeah, here's the, you know, here's the spell that's been cast on you. But then we get substance, we get layers and we start seeing why each one of these servants, each one of these characters is loyal to him and how they feel a sense of, maybe it's from guilt. Maybe it's, I don't know what it is, but there is devotion there. And they see, it's because of that devotion that they see beyond the beast side of him. And I, I don't mean just the physical part, but I mean the heart, the depiction of the arrogance that that he emits. And I didn't catch that in the animated. It may not have been as amplified, but I thought it was a very beautiful way to give a human quality to this beast character and give a little bit more roundedness to these other supplementary characters that go beyond just singing furniture. Um, I, I felt like having these, having that backstory of him and subsequently with, with bell gave me more of a reason to care. And it's at those moments that I specifically upped my star status. I said, okay, this is now better than what I expected. This now has a refreshed quality to it. This doesn't feel like real people imitating what was done several years ago in cartoon form that I now care about these characters on another level beyond just the trite, you know, the, the trivial one, the one that we're supposed to care about. Right. I, you know, I think you're right. <laughs> I do. I, I, I don't remember anywhere near the focus on that aspect of the relationship between the service and the beast in particular. Um, and I did pick up on it as well in this one. I think that that's something that was added, uh, and, and to, for good reason and, and to a good cause. Um, you know, this is a, a little over two hours and some people would say it went a little long. I didn't really feel the length personally. I thought it was just fine. Um, and I enjoyed having those extra bits of, of exposition and, and understanding and scenes that really, like you said, like you said, it fleshed out some of these characters to the point where, they were more than just um, a Disney sidekick type type character. Um, and while I don't love everything about their fleshed out nature, <laughs> everything about them, um, I liked having more information. Uh, and I think, you know, the beast that very there at the very beginning, just getting a visualization of how the beast is turned into the beast was very interesting. Um, you didn't, really see that devotion from the the people at that time you know it looked it looked different 
it was like they they didn't respect him. It didn't seem uh, there were people that were were in that room, but it very much to me felt like okay, here's all of the the fancy people that are here for the ball because mm-hmm. they want to be around the very rich and elegant prince. You know, they're here to to kind of praise him, and you know, by the end, it's very clear that they are giving of themselves. There's there's a, another theme that, that ties into that of sacrifice that runs through this film all, right all over the place. Belle sacrificing herself for her father. Um, and it continues to happen uh, where the servants are essentially sacrificing themselves for, for the prince. And, and they don't, they don't have a, I say that they don't have an active choice. It's not like they can turn back into humans and walk out the door. But they can choose not to serve him. Correct. I mean, they, can, they could live in cupboards and they could be angry, <laughs> yeah. right? And, and be and be upset. And they're not. They carry on their roles. Um, and I get the impression from their personalities that you know they wouldn't make that choice if they could. That they wouldn't they wouldn't leave him by himself. They mm-hmm. feel that he needs them. They're they're committed to him, and so therefore they sacrifice to be what he needs them to be. Um, and I, and I just love that part of the story. Cause it's so, it, those are the things that this one does focus on that takes it beyond the love story. The mm-hmm. love story we're always going to connect with. You, you can't not, you, you really can't, you can't not have feelings over the emotional impact of bell and the beast coming together in the end. Um, you know, going through these boundaries of, of looks to see within and, and really fall in love with who each other, you know, are mm-hmm. that's, that's a natural thing. But so this, this extra stuff of loyalty and devotion and sacrifice, those are awesome things for adults specifically to pull out. And it's great that you can, you know, it's, it's also a kid's movie kind of not m- so much as the animated one probably, but you know, a little bit of an older audience. We, like I said earlier, you can have these conversations with your children. Mm-hmm. And use this as a reference point to bring some of those things out. And so for that, you know, it's a stellar move by Disney and what they've done. It's almost like you've got two Beauty and the Beasts for different age groups is the way I see I, it. Oh, yeah. And start them on the animated one when they're like <laughs> two, three and four. And then when they get to about 10 or 11 and they really can understand it, you bring them to the live action and you've got this, you've, you've, you've generated this love of this story and these songs, and then they get to experience it in a new way and you get to have more depth in your conversations. And for that, I think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And there's a risk that you take as a director and as a writer and as a composer when you add to a story like this, because this is a beloved story. So the easy way out would be just to do a shot for shot remake live action and just fall in love with the actors, you know, and, you know, criticize or, you know, make fun of the, you know, the CG or whatever, you know, whatever the, the things that you do. But I think what makes this special are the additions and particularly the songs. This is something that I didn't expect. I knew the half a dozen songs going into it that's the thing that is memorable to me but when i started hearing new songs and started questioning wait a minute was that in the original no that wasn't and i looked it up and there were actually two additional songs that i had never heard of days in the sun being one of them 
And did you say just another day of sun? (laughs) No. And I didn't say seasons in the sun either. I said days in the sun, which of the two new songs, this particular one resonated with me, you know, quite vividly. In fact, I remember listening to it and being focused on one line and telling myself, remember that line, remember that line, remember that line, because it it was so very, very, um, it was poetic because obviously it's from, from a song, but it's a, it's a line that Belle says where she says, how in the midst of all this sorrow can so much hope and love endure? I was innocent and certain. Now I'm wiser, but unsure. And that, those four lines, I really believe exemplify a growth of a character and so many opposites that exist in those, in those lyrics, you know, in the midst of sorrow, hope and love endure. Wow. It's beautiful. And then I was innocent and certain now I'm wiser, but unsure. So it's like, you're asking the question, which is better being innocent and certain or being wiser, but unsure. So it's almost as if she's questioning that she's going, is, is, is this the better life? Is the better life? Is it, (laughs) is it like the red pill, blue pill (laughs) from the matrix? You know, do I, do I live a better life being naive and sure, or being wise and aware of the world around me, but unsure. And I think that's kind of a hidden theme that's going on in this movie is as a character grows up, as Belle grows up and grows to love the beast, is it worth it? Is it worth it to, to live with that uncertainty of saying, this is going to be the life that I live with, with someone who is an outcast like me, which is very comforting, but at the same time is an outcast like me. And that's also not comforting. So that the, the addition of that new song in particular really, I think it, it definitely amplified the movie and elevated its uh, quality for me. Well, that's interesting because there was, there's one other one I know of um, that you did not mention that was a new song that I kind of connected with a little bit. And that was, it's called evermore. And it's, it's okay. like, it's the beasts uh, solo at the end of the film. And while I really didn't care too much for the singing of it, to be honest, um, it's actually, I think it's sung by Dan Stevens in the film. And if you go to the Mm -hmm. soundtrack, it's, there's a, there's a version by Josh Groban, which is infinitely better. Uh, uh, It's exactly what happens. Yes. But I mean, you know, it's Josh Groban, so it's going to be better. Yeah. Um, Just like the beauty and the beast theme is better when it's John legend and uh, Ariana Grande. But um, (laughs) anyway, in this one, you know, he is lamenting the loss of bell. And I think, while his particular reasons are maybe a little bit unique, um, many of us have have felt this way um, at you know, the the misunderstanding of what we needed to be in a relationship, or um, under coming coming into that knowledge um, and having the light bulb bulb go off after the fact when you can't do anything about it. And he says, "I was going to actually bring up the lyrics too, which is interesting." And he says, I was the one who had it all. I was the master of my fate. I never needed anybody in my life. I learned the truth too late. 
And that, yeah. that was like the opening of the song. And I just remember going, oh, and I mean, my heart was sinking when he was singing this. And I, it was another kind of a connection moment for me because mm-hmm. his honest sadness was so compelling for me during this song. Um, and his realization of, man, like I did this to myself, you know, and I had so many opportunities and not that he did something wrong with Bell, but he's realizing He's he's using his newfound relationship with her and love for her as a as a window into the past of how his personality was toward everybody and why he's even in this position, you know, because of of how he treated the world around him. And he's realizing that and just kind of just living in that pain and and sorrow because he doesn't think she's coming back at this moment. And so it's a it's a pretty powerful one for me, and I, I liked the inclusion of it. Uh, again, I don't love the singing, and some of the CGI is wonky, but from a story standpoint, I thought it was right on point and a very very good ad. Uh, overall, I like the music a lot. Like we talked about, the musical numbers are great. The the, the big songs where they're singing and dancing, Bell, um, Gaston. Mm-hmm. Um, Something there is something, whatever the the name of the song is, that something's there that wasn't there before. Uh, Be Our Guest. You Mm -hmm. know, all of those were just really neat to see in a live action setting, whether Mm -hmm. I, I, like I said, whether I love parts of it or not. Um, It was, it was a, it was very, very neatly done. Very artistically done. Were there any particular of the, of those numbers, um, the new songs or otherwise that you liked visually? that you one stood out over the above any other um not that i'm ready to talk about right now okay <laughs> <laughs> i'm not ready to talk about that yet <laughs> it's like for i need time patrick i need time no um but I, what i do want to i do want to talk about though as we're talking about new music what do we think about the new story points we you touched on this a little bit earlier with the inclusion of the the front-loaded story, the Enchantress's story, not just being told from storybook pictures, but us actually seeing it kind of acted out, how he becomes the beast. But there's, in particular, one very, or two very critical scenes that are added, two very critical story points, and that is Belle's backstory and the Beast's backstory. So I'm curious, do you have any thoughts on either of those? I'm not ready to talk about that yet. Oh, well, this is fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I will say this. I will say that they were both much appreciated by this guy. I think that when you, again, when you, when you run the risk, the risk you take with doing a remake or, you know, a reimagining is balancing the familiarity and adding your own refreshing take to it. And I don't know that there was anything about these two particular moments that took away from the story. If anything, I felt like they really added to the story as a whole. They gave weight to both the characters. And as you so eloquently put, it made the story not just about love of these two people, but it pushed the boundaries out and it expanded to other characters as well and gave them a little bit more substance, which I think is good. I really think it's good because I think in, in the, in the days of we want more, we don't want just what we've seen before kind of attitudes. 
this this fit the bill for me. I know that if I, I wouldn't have wanted to, if if you would have told me this is a shot for shot remake, I probably wouldn't have been interested in it. So I was, and so not knowing that those were coming in, my expectations just went up when I when I saw them, or not expectations, but my 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 love or my involvement or my interest got a lot higher whenever those two moments were were put in. Yeah, I tend to agree. And I I honestly will tell you that in the 24 hours plus that now I've seen I've gone through since I've seen this film, it has grown on me in a lot of ways, and I think as I've reflected in preparation for for doing the show here on those two new scenes, I really do believe they add value and that they flesh these characters out in a way that is unique and um, and is is beneficial like it's 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 got it's got value to it and so we can we can dive into those a little more in depth here here shortly uh if you want but i i guess before we do that like before we move into the connecting point um i i wanted to just briefly talk a little bit about the comparisons of the two films uh, and then maybe pick one see what our favorite is did you have anything else you want to talk about before that nope I'm ready to move forward. All right. Well, everybody in the world is going to say this movie is better or worse than the animated film. I mean, you're, you're remaking a classic. The comparison is going to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as I mentioned in our introduction, there's, there's two questions around this one being, um, is it better than the original? And the other being, does it matter? whether it's better than the original or not. So I have it for you. Is it better than the original? Uh, from a subjective standpoint? Yes, I think it is because you're taking source material that I already loved and you're adding to it in an effective way. So the filmmaking math says, yes, it's better just because it has more good stuff in it. <laughs> if you were going to rewatch beauty and the beast in the future for you, not for to me. introduce your son to for the first time, because we've already talked about what may be a good plan for that. But if you want to sit down and you want to watch the story of Beauty and the Beast, which one are you going to choose, do you think? Hands down, the 2017 okay. film. Okay. Do you want me to answer? Yes, I would love to hear your answer. Up until this very moment in time, <laughs> I would have told you the animated film. Because I am hanging on to the past in a big way. And I have such a history with it. I've grown up with it. I'm in love with it. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. But I do believe now that because of the added portions, I would choose to watch this movie. I think it is a better film experience for me as an adult. It's got action. It's got some cool CGI um, it's got, I mean, it's just, it's vibrant. It's got Gandalf as a clock. It's got <laughs> Obi-Wan as a candlestick. I mean, dude, this has Hermione as Belle. Like, this is a very well-made film. And we haven't even touched on the other actors. Josh Gad is phenomenal in this as LeFou. He is. I, he is so I would, good. I hate to not, we won't go into depth here, but I mean, his comedic timing mm-hmm. and the way that he brings, like, he made LeFou into a character that is interesting 
and that has a backstory and is fleshed mm-hmm. out and that I care about. LeFou is, again, Disney sidekick in the movie. Like, he has some of the same, you know, tendencies of desiring Gaston and desiring to be like Gaston in the animated film, which are way kind of like ramped up to 11 in this one, but it's much, much more entertaining to me. Mm-hmm. Um, Gaston, I think it's, is it Luke? I think it's Luke Evans. Mm-hmm. Home run. Again, home run. I bought every bit of his narcissism. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, like he was perfect, I thought, as Gaston. I thought he was fantastic. Mm-hmm. So there are so many reasons why I think I would choose to watch this one again. And I'll tell you what ultimately was holding me back. I think if you asked me the question of which soundtrack would you put and play on repeat, I would tell you the animated film because I still love those songs and I still like the way that they're sung just a little bit better. Um, but if I'm going to watch the movie, man, it's grown on me and I think it would be this one. And I'll tell you, I'm going to probably try to go see this again in the theaters because it is a fantastic theater experience. It's that kind of film. You should um, take your daughter. Well, I know you didn't get a chance to, but you should take your daughter if you can. Well, she's already seen it. So have you. Well, but that would be expensive. No, I'm kidding. Um, La La actually, Land? Can we just say La La Land? Well, Come yeah, that's, that's a few times. No, you're right. And maybe we continue <laughs> our love for, for musicals and love stories together, and it's a thing. So No, and, and, and also, I, I mean, I think, that, I think that's, I mean, you missed out on an opportunity. I mean, I think you and I both talked offline how we kind of, you kind of regretted that. And, you know, it wasn't your choice. I mean, it, was, it, it wasn't something bad, but I just, I think that as the love that you have for your daughter and how, you know, I, I don't know. Did, did you mention how she connected? Did she enjoy it? I think uh, she, I was, she did. She told me she enjoyed it and that her favorite character was Philippe the horse. <laughs> because that's how my daughter rolls, man. Animals. If there was a cat in it, I'm pretty sure the cat would, would trump that. Right? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but I will. And to the other question of, does it matter? Does it matter which one we choose? I think it go back to what we were talking about earlier. And I would say, no, I, I for once am thrilled to have both of these versions. And I do think that there will, there will be room for both of them in my life and that there will be times when I want to watch both of them mm-hmm. um, again and revisit them. There'll be a time when I go on a Disney animated binge and Bill, the beauty of the beast is going to going to get some play, you know, and there's going to be times when I want to watch just a fantasy story and I want to feel that magic and I'm going to go to this version. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to go to this one. And it has made me infinitely more secure (laughs) about the upcoming Lion King live adaptation. I was nervous, 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 Patrick. I'm, I'm so pumped to hear that it's your favorite too, because you know, Timon is my favorite Disney character of all time. And I just, Mm -hmm. I, I I was so scared, so scared. Now, I mean, (laughs) I haven't even watched any of the other Lion King stuff. I'm afraid to watch the Broadway play that's critically acclaimed, um, Broadway musical. I, I've heard that they've done good stuff. I just I'm scared of it, and so now I, I have faith. I think, uh, and I'm going to go into it with a little different expectations. I'm pretty sure we'll have that same conversation that we've had tonight when we when we review that one. <laughs> oh, oh, it's going to be exciting. Yes. Well, let's go ahead and move into our connecting point, or also known as the things that we said we would talk about later. <laughs> do you want to kick this one off or do you want me to go first? I'd be glad to. There were, there were several moments, surprisingly, again, because my expectations weren't really very high going into it, although I was excited about seeing it. There were several scenes that stood out to me, a couple of which I mentioned. The library scene's great. Um, I love 
Maurice and Belle's relationship, that opening scene with him and her, and he's making that clock. I thought that was so precious. But the one that really stands out to me is where, and this is, you know, as a, as a person who doesn't really care for a ton of fantasy, this moment was very cool. It was the book that the Enchantress gave the beast where you could open it up and you could put your hand on the globe or the map. And if you thought about where you wanted to go, you could go there. I want and that. I, I, the thing is, I didn't pick up on that you would go there in that current period of time. I thought it was like you'd go there at a certain point in the past or or whatever. I didn't realize it until after this particular scene was over that, oh, it's now. It's like in that moment. So. I, I thought it was more of like a memory thing. Yeah, and, and then yeah, when, yeah. when they showed up and physically there, I was like, <gasps> like it was a big wow moment for me. But yeah, and the and the wow moment got bigger when they land in Paris, and of course, there's a great little comedic moment where a beast is like, "You want to go here? You want to go here?" And he goes, "Ah, oh, too touristy," you know, kind of thing. But then it's we connect with Belle, and it's her home that she grew up in, and she finds out why her dad had to take her away from her mom. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I maybe possibly more than likely teared up and finding out that her mom had was suffering from the plague. I mean, Aaron, can you imagine having your daughter <laughs> right there as a baby and your wife? I don't want to talk about know. this. I, mean, okay. yeah, I don't. Yeah, okay. I can imagine. I mean, having to make a choice to leave. <laughs> Ugh. And my, my heart was just right in my throat. I was just going, no. Oh, man. And so it gave so much weight to those earlier scenes when he's making that clock and he just, he talks about his wife and how just amazing she was and how she was a painter. And I loved, as much as it didn't quite fit at the end, I loved at the end seeing him painting, you know, a sort of a, hey, you're living through this paintbrush because um, I never saw him paint before. But anyway, th the whole thing, coupled with Beast's backstory, it just, it's, it goes beyond a musical substance for me. I mean, it's a real, true, heartfelt, well-told story with musical accent pieces as opposed to a Broadway musical that's driven by, you know, high-stepping numbers and furniture that dances and throws food at you. It's, <laughs> I think that moment gave this film purpose for me. And it's not going to be just another Disney musical for me. It's going to be Beauty and the Beast, a movie that's worth seeing more than once. <laughs> it's going to be special, so, yeah. It is. It's very special. I mean, as much as I love these, the, you know, these, this multitude of musicals, uh, Disney animation, animated features, they're all kind of lumped into the same category, with the exception of The Lion King. Uh, the Lion King was very different for me. It was a new type of... You know, it was using animation in different ways. It was a wow kind of heartbreaking story. But, no princess. You know, <laughs> no yeah. princess. Yeah. Uh, and so without, you know, tangenting too much on that, I think that, that those two scenes really gave humanity and gave a realistic sense of, of why we're in this movie. And so I, I loved it. I really did. As much as it hurt, I really enjoyed that. That's a fantastic connecting point. And I, I had many in this film, as I've kind of alluded to and mentioned throughout the episode where I really did connect emotionally. And, and that was definitely one of them. And for me, even more than the moment when he leaves, 
uh, during that scene where, where we mm-hmm. see him leaving, I almost said with Hermione, with Belle. Um, it's, <laughs> it's the moment for me in the, the wagon where he's now, it's, it's, it's his face when he realizes she knows and she tells him she knows and his just, he's so worried that she's going to be disappointed in him. Like he doesn't yeah. want to let her down. And I feel that every, who boy, here we go. Um, I mean, I feel that <clears throat> all the time as a parent, especially of a, of a daughter. I mean, I feel that way about my son too, but like, I don't want to let my daughter down and, and I don't want her to feel that way. I want her to always mm-hmm. look up to me and feel like I made the right choices. Even when I'm doing them, you know, to, especially when I'm making them to take care of her and, and for her benefit. And so, yeah. Anywho. Moving on, because this is connected. I'm not supposed to be crying. <laughs> <clears throat> Woo! Uh, so, uh, my connecting point, what I'm going to go with, um, is the opening number of Bell. This is my favorite song um, in the animated version, and it's one of my favorite Disney songs of all time. Again, I told you, you know, this, this song alone is what made me want to date bell like that's a dream girl for me you know and not only is she brunette which i love she also her favorite she wears a yellow dress which is my favorite color um that aside <laughs> this is an iconic song and it's the one that defines her for me and, and and everything and so we get to learn about her personality we get to learn how curious she is we get to learn how much she loves to learn uh, we get to learn how caring and considerate considerate she is and how how great of a daughter she is and so this musical number for the production value of it to be so high as she's walking through the town and she's singing this song and we're meeting these different townsfolks and characters. Um, it really brought me into this film. And I think I choose it as my connecting point because it announced Emma Watson as the perfect choice for Belle. And it really set the tone for all of the great performances and the great music numbers that were going to come and for the whole story. And, and it, it primed the pump for me, so to speak. It made me open myself to enjoying this as a unique and independent movie. Why am I, cr- I'm getting teared up over here for no stupid reason. Um, <laughs> and it, it made me be able to fall in love with this version of beauty and the beast completely aside from the animated film and my love for it. Um, and it all started because of this number. If, if it was right here when I was just like, man, if they can do that, then you can have my attention and I'm willing to, to give you everything I've got and put it into, to this film experience. And it paid off in a big way. Good, man. I think maybe the only thing I would say that would add to that scene is if she finished it by saying, when Ghanium Leviosa, would that be <laughs> that would be pretty good hey speaking of endings i don't know what you thought about this i thought it was the most hilarious thing in the world but at the very end of the film when she's dancing with beast and hopefully you caught this she asks him and she says oh but the beard do you think you can grow a beard and as a guy with a big beard who's met women who don't like big beards they're wrong first of all uh, and Belle is right. And I just thought it was awesome. And the fact that he gives her this growl, <laughs> this growl, this primal growl, I thought it was a wonderful flirtatious moment. And it felt so 
completely unscripted. It was just it was just this quick chemistry between the mm-hmm. two of them, and I totally bought their relationship. And I just thought it was a, a great little addition. I actually did a little research on it, and apparently, going way back to one of the previous versions of this film, that was a line that was going to be in one of them, and uh, they ended up you know deciding not to go that route, and so it was like mm-hmm. a nod to that previous version. And I, I loved it. So that That's was good. That's cool, man. Also, cool. Hey, by the way, the other thing I was going to ask you, do you ever accidentally call him Pepe LeFou? Just me? No. Just me? I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, the whole time during the movie, I'm, I'm listening to these characters. Of course, again, I have not seen the animated feature in so long. And I'm trying to connect them with their character traits. So you got Mrs. Potts and you've got... Uh, the you know the the, the candlestick is a fire uh, or light or whatever, and I was thinking Le Fou. I was I thought he was calling him Le Fool because that's kind of what Josh Gad's character <laughs> is supposed to be as is a Le Fool. Very much <laughs> is like a Le Fool. That's awesome. <laughs> well, why don't we wrap this thing up? Do you want to uh, take us out? Start us out? Take us out? Yeah. So if you guys want to continue the conversation, we're, we're going to be on the webs at our normal addresses. You can find me at uh, Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can also drop by the website, feelingfilm.com and check out past episodes. Uh, we've been kind of reworking it uh, slowly, but surely there are uh, helpful links to our episodes, to mini-sodes. We've even got a support page now where you can do some uh, quick uh, jaunts over to Patreon or um, or PayPal if you want to support us in either of those two ways. Next week, we are going to be going into space. I don't know if that came across very well. Anyway, we're going to be uh, tackling the sci-fi adventure Life starring Jake Gyllenhaal and Ryan Reynolds out of costume, you know, because... I'm wondering if Deadpool is going to make an appearance at this. I mean, I, I figure he would at some point. If any superhero but, of Ryan Reynolds is going to make an appearance in space, it's going to be Green Lantern. <laughs> Not if he has anything to say about it, I'm sure. But uh, we're excited to talk about that. It got shifted around on the schedule, so we shifted our schedule around to accommodate for it. And uh, we're going to tackle life. Sounds good. I'm super excited. We both love sci-fi. And this one has a very alien feel to it. Um, maybe a little less on the horror uh, slant which i'm sure you will enjoy if it's not quite as bloody as alien but uh i'm, I'm definitely looking forward to this movie quite no fantasy bit. no fantasy just sci-fi oh, just give me sci-fi. gosh um <laughs> if you want to carry on the conversation with my myself you can find me on facebook and on twitter at aaron l white a-a-r-o-n-e-l-w-h-i-t-e i would love to talk to you about any of your thoughts on this or anything else at all love to chat uh to announce, drum roll, for our Patreon donor pick episode, our donors have chosen our Bill Paxton film to be from the choices of... Stretch it out much? Frailty. Are we trying to hit two hours? So here were the choices. Frailty, A Simple Plan, Tombstone, Apollo 13, and Edge of Tomorrow. And the donors chose 
Tombstone. Oh, Tombstone. Tombstone, yes. <laughs> Tombstone, Tombstone, yes. That was a terrible drum roll, by the way. Uh, I don't, that sounded uh, more like a laser gun. But it, they chose Tombstone, everyone. So we are excited to be doing an episode on Tombstone. We have long wanted to do that. And uh, we're going to probably try and do the whole episode in quotes. We'll, we'll see if that works out. Um, <laughs> tune in at the end of this month. I think we're going to drop that one on a Thursday. The last Thursday of the month is generally going to be our donor pick episode uh, release date. So that'll be coming out. And if you're interested in being a part of the voting for the next month for April's episode, when that comes around, go ahead and pop over to Patreon and become a supporter. That's all we've got for this episode. Hope you've enjoyed it. Hope you loved beauty and the beast and got as much out of it as we did. And until next time, stay positive and keep feeling enchanted. <laughs>